0: Thank you, and uh, good morning to all of you. Happy uh, Memorial Day weekend. Thanks to all of you for making it out on this long holiday weekend. I know it's a busy time for a lot of people that want to kind of get a jump on the summer and have a a primer for the summertime, um, especially after what seemed like such a long and cold winter. Now, tomorrow is also Memorial Day which commemorates those men and women who have given the ultimate sacrifice in the service of our country. And to honor them, please join me as we take a brief moment to pray for their families and to acknowledge them. Dear God, we thank you for the lives of those who have given everything in the service of our country and specifically for the freedoms that we enjoy every day. We thank you for them and we thank you for these freedoms and chief among those freedoms is the freedom to gather here this morning like we are to hear from you to worship you to learn more about you and to draw closer to you. Lord, we ask that you would bless the families and friends of those who have been left behind and then we also ask that you would help us to honor those who have given the ultimate sacrifice by continuing to stand up for liberty to fighting for dignity and the needs of our neighbors, both here and around the world, and ultimately for doing those things that honor you. Lord, we thank you. And in your precious name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you. Now, as we head into summer, it's a time of transition. It's also a time of endings in a time of new beginnings. As we just celebrated the seniors, their, their journey is now coming to an end in school. But it, a new beginning is happening and they're transitioning to something new. And new transitions are happening all the time. In fact, just yesterday we celebrated Jacob Hale and Shanna Smith getting married right here in this place. And what a beautiful Beautiful ceremony that was. What a special occasion that was. You know, and that was a time to celebrate. And there are times like these to celebrate. You know, a lot of people in the first service, they're still in school right now. So they're celebrating the fact that there's only a few days of school left. And we should celebrate these times. But even in new beginnings and happy things that are happening, there's transition. And with transition comes challenge, and stress. In fact, it might feel like the only constant thing in life is change, of leaving one thing and ending that and, and moving to something else It's beginning, whether that's school or a career, or, or whether that's maybe moving into a new relationship or a, a phase of life. Maybe that's moving out of a career and into retirement. The end of one thing becomes the beginning of the next. And what's true, what I know about you and I is that for all of us, we want to feel like in the middle of all these changes and transitions, we're making progress, that we're moving forward, that we're growing. But what if you don't? What if you don't feel that way? What if you don't feel like you're moving forward? And what if you don't feel like you're growing or progressing? And certainly as followers of Jesus, we want to be in the middle of God's work in this world. And we want to be a part of that. And we want to feel like we're a part of that. But what happens when we feel like we aren't? What happens when we feel like we're not growing? Like nothing's happening? You ever been there? I know I've had times in my life where I've felt like that's been happening, where I'm moving, but nothing's happening, like being on a treadmill. You know, you're moving, but you're not moving forward. You want to move forward, but you're just staying there in one spot. And you can run faster, right? You just run faster. You're not moving anywhere. You're just staying right there. In fact, the only thing that happens when you run faster is that you get tired faster. So tired that you eventually just stop and give up. And I know I'm, I feel like I'm being a, a kind of a downer this morning, but parts of our lives can feel like that too. Like even, you know, we're going faster and faster, we're just not getting traction maybe it 's been in our careers, maybe it 's been in school. Maybe a lot of students feel this way, like they 're just going and going, but they 're not getting anywhere. maybe that 's been in your relationships or in your families. Maybe you had big goals or big dreams that you wanted to achieve in your life. maybe this year you were gonna, this was a year you were going to do something, and that just hasn 't happened, or maybe you 've been on the same goal for the past decade, and still it hasn 't happened. Sometimes our lives can feel like we're on this proverbial treadmill. And s- our spiritual lives aren't any different sometimes. Sometimes we, we, we think we need to be growing, we need to be moving forward in a, in a positive direction, but we don't feel like we can get traction there either. And after a while of being on this proverbial treadmill, you simply start to feel defeated. Now, I know there are positive thinkers out there, and they will tell you, you know what, if you just put your mind to it, you can do anything. And I will acknowledge there's some value in that. It's, it's possible sometimes for us in our lives, at times, to feel like we're stuck, like we're not making any progress, like something is holding us back. And modern wisdom would tell us that this is due to th- something that is known as limiting beliefs. Limiting beliefs. Now, limiting beliefs are those ideas that hold us back. They can be negative messages about ourselves or about other people or the world that keep us from moving forward. Limiting beliefs or self-defeating beliefs, they're real. I mean, I know they're real. In, In the olden days, we used to call this stinking thinking. Of course, I'm sure you probably would refer to this now as thinking, thinking. And and this thinking, thinking, so to speak, it can be thoughts about other people. And an example there would be, well, she'll never change, or he'll never grow up, or, you know, you can't really trust anyone, or, you know, sooner or later, everyone will let you down. Or they could be thoughts about the world and the way that the world works, it could be something like, well, there'll never be peace. Or, you know, there's only so much wealth or success or happiness to go around. Or, it's impossible for one person to make a difference. But probably the most common thoughts when we, we talk about limiting beliefs are those things, those messages that are negative about ourselves. You know, I'll never kick that habit. Or, I will always be single. I'll never change. I'll never get ahead. You know, things just don't work out for me. Or I'll never truly be happy. And this type of thinking can also extend to the way that we begin to view God. Just as we slip into this self-defeating line of thought about ourselves and about others and about the world, we can do this, the same thing with God and who He is and what's true about God. We can begin to see him in a negative way as well. Limiting beliefs. There are these negative messages, whether they're about ourselves, whether they're about their other people, whether they're about uh, God or the world. They exist deep inside us and they hold us back. And sometimes they can keep us from moving forward and getting that traction. And they can be small. They can be small issues, but they have a mighty impact on our lives and they're different for every one of us in fact this morning i have a practical exercise for you i'd like you to pull out your sermon notes and this is even for the people who aren't the note takers usually you know in a family you have the note taker and the non note taker but this is for everybody this morning there's a space here to provide and write down your limiting belief and write that down here because we're going to be collecting that late i'm just kidding Okay. I want to make that disclaimer right up front, right? Because there's a space for you to write down your top limiting belief. Go ahead and write that down now as I'm, I continue to talk through this. And bear in mind, it doesn't have to be pretty or legible. It doesn't have to be grammatically correct or be a complete sentence. And the idea here is that it's something that's this negative message that you, you honestly have told yourself that's either what you think about yourself or other people in general. Don't write somebody's name and saying, well, John. No, don't do that, okay? Just about in general or about the world or even about God. Something that you feel like has been a negative message that you've internalized and that you've been telling yourself that you think may be holding you back. And don't overanalyze this. You probably thought of it so far as we've been talking. And if you didn't, just write down the first thing that comes to your mind something that holds you back, something that holds you back from making progress, something that reveals maybe that dark side that we all have. And you don't have to share your notes with your neighbor and we're not going to break down into groups and have share time later, okay? So don't worry about that. This is for you, so be honest, okay? And if it is too painful to write down, just hang on to that and we'll come back to that. But for now, let's explore this issue a little bit further. You see, taken together, all these negative messages that I've been talking about, these limiting beliefs about others, about ourselves, about the world, they form this whole universe of limiting beliefs. And if you don't believe me and you think, I've never heard of this before, just do a quick Google search and you'll find dozens and dozens of websites and pages that are devoted to this line of thinking. In fact, when I first did a Google search, the first thing that came up was the top 63, 63 limiting beliefs, toxic beliefs. One of them was a site that said, here are the top seven of all time, and whether or not this is true, I'm not going to debate that, it is the internet, I didn't check my sources, but I'll read those to you here. Number one, I can't be my real self, or I'll be judged. Number two, I can't fall in love, or I'll get my heart broken. Number three, I can't ask for what I want, or I'll be rejected. Number four, I can't trust people lest they betray me. Five, I can't pursue my dreams because I might fail. Six, well, I don't need to be successful, so I'm not going to even bother trying. Seven, it's too late for me to pursue my dreams. And if you found yourself identifying with anything you've heard so far, you're not alone. This type of thinking is common. It's so common that combating these types of thoughts has become its own industry. In fact, it's job security for mental health professionals. It's new book deals for authors. It's a whole new target audience for aspiring bloggers. And let's face it, it has always been that thing that has driven people to drugs, alcohol, entertainment, or any form of self-medicating ourselves against the pain that these limiting negative messages have had into the deepest parts of ourselves. And I'm not going to categorize everybody in this light. I know that not everybody suffers from stinking thinking. After all, one of the seven dwarves was named happy. But for the other six, right? Well, especially grumpy, right? For many, we know about stinking thinking all too well. And we may not speak it out loud with other people. We may not write it down on Facebook. But in our minds and in our hearts, haven't we been there? You know, certainly there are many people who suffer from privately self-identifying themselves as either unworthy or insignificant. And as it relates to God, Pastor Brad just finished a series recently that dealt with objections that people have about God, the Bible, and the church. And in his last message, he talked about people's objections to Christianity and therefore against God. And one of these is that Christianity and therefore God is closed-minded, it's exclusive, it's racist, it's anti-gay and anti-women and generally anti-everything that doesn't fit into the cookie-cutter evangelical Christian box. Thoughts at the very core that God is cruel. And that's nothing new. Author Stephen King, who professes to be somewhat of a Christian himself, seems to include this dark view in much of his writing. And in fact, one such book, Desperation, it's a tale that recounts this evil that plagued this small mining town in the Nevada desert, has this refrain throughout its pages I mean, throughout almost all the chapters. The literal words that God is cruel. That God is cruel. Now, I'm going to let that hang there for a minute. I'm going to just let that tension not resolve itself for a minute. While we take some time to consult an ancient passage from the book of Isaiah together. You see, the text this morning comes to us from Isaiah chapter 44 verses 13 through 20. That's Isaiah chapter 44, verses 13 through 20. So if you have your Bible, you can join me there this morning. Otherwise, if you have your phone or tablet and that's how you access the Bible, go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 44, verses 13 through 20. And I'll go ahead and start reading. The carpenter measures... With a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it in the form of man, of man in all his glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. He cuts down cedars, or perhaps a cypress or an oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest, or planted a pine, and the rain made it grow. It's man's fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. He also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm, I see the fire. From the rest he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, Save me, you are my god. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see. And their minds closed, so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, Half of it I use for fuel. I even break bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, Is not this thing in my right hand a lie? Now, so the, what Isaiah wrote about here isn't lost on us. I thought I'd bring in some props and finally, und- you know, clear up the mystery of what this is, right? Because all these people who were up here before got up here and thought, what is that? Well, it's a grill, okay? It is Memorial Day weekend, so that's kind of fitting. I also brought some firewood with me, um, and I understand, this is a charcoal grill. Okay, you don't put firewood in here, but this is for visual effects. So, you know, for those of you who work for the fire department, please don't come to my house. I know what I'm doing, okay? But I also brought a knickknack, a wooden knickknack that's been carved out of the same wood that's used as firewood. And it kind of fits that Memorial Day theme. Kind of nice, right? So, what Isaiah says here is that the carpenter he plants these trees and he chooses the best lumber and he cuts down that tree and part of it becomes firewood and he builds himself a fire and over top of this fire he keeps himself warm and he makes his meal He bakes bread, remember? He even roasts some meat, you know, just like Memorial Day weekend for our backyard barbecues. Maybe he grilled himself a hamburger or a brat, as long as it was kosher, okay? Maybe even roasted some marshmallows over top of it. And he looks at the fire and he says, ah, fire, it's warm, it glows. But then out of that same pile of wood, he fashions himself a knick-knack, and he declares to the knick-knack, You are my God. And so he then sings praise and worship songs to the knick He prays to it. And when he's in time of trouble or need, he says, Save me, you are my God. And to paraphrase what Isaiah concludes in this passage, that's ridiculous. That's totally silly. Such a person would have to be blind, both spiritually and physically. I mean, how does this man who just fashioned a God out of the same wood pile that he just built a fire over and roasted marshmallows over, then turn to this and say, you are my God. How does this man not say, isn't what I'm holding in my right hand just A lie? In the surrounding verses to our text, Isaiah has been highlighting and emphasizing to his original audience that there is no God but the true God, Yahweh. And he uses this passage to warn against the foolishness of following after anything or anyone but the true God. And the implications of that passage both for the original audience and for us today could literally take us in dozens of different directions. And while it may not be as common for people to worship wooden idols, certainly people do put material things still in front of God. Things like houses, cars, toys, or, you know, even today, you know, especially smartphones. And this morning... I want to take just one thing and focus on that. Because those aren't the only things that can take the place of God in our lives. You see, I want to start back at what we started with at the beginning these limiting beliefs. Because strangely and ironically and sadly, those limiting beliefs can take the place of God in our lives too. Because they compete with God for our attention. Just like that idol. And if you don't believe me, it's evident in the amount of time that some of us spend doing our stinking thinking, as opposed to how much time we spend in the wonder of who God is. And unfortunately, I don't think that people who've decided to follow Jesus and look to him as the one that God sent to save us are totally immune from this. And I'm going to be completely vulnerable and honest with you this morning, and I'm going to tell you That that applies to me. That I've let limiting beliefs in my life hold me back. Not only negative thoughts about myself, but even about God. Now those who know me well would say that, you know, I've never doubted that God exists or that he's powerful. I've never doubted Christ's work on the cross for me. And I profess to the goodness of God and his love for us. Because I teach it, and I I preach it, and I even sing about it. But deep down in my heart, how I sometimes feel and think about these issues, it betrays that belief. Because in my innermost being, my thoughts all too often turn to that of a spiritual Eeyore. You know, the, the donkey from Winnie the Pooh. I I might hear myself saying these messages to myself. God is loving, but does he really love me as much as he loves everyone else? That God answers prayers, but does he he really hear my prayers? That God is all-powerful, but is he really at work in my world? And that God is all-knowing and all-seeing, but does he really, honestly, does he really see and notice me? And I remember not too long ago I had one of these moments at home and I have to give credit where credit is due to my daughter Tori because she was the first to push back on that and say that's terrible. And she was right. It is terrible. And it's terrible not just because it's negative thinking, thinking. It's terrible because it's just not true. It's a lie. It's a lie. And ultimately it's a self-defeating and self-destructive lie. And you know what I realized? Is that if I believe that I'm unworthy of what God has promised to me, or that I pray to a God who doesn't hear or answer my prayer, or that He doesn't have great plans for my life, then I'm believing in, and I'm worshiping the wrong God. I'm worshiping a lie. Like a wooden knick-knack. And I may not be handy enough to whittle out a wooden idol, and I assure you I'm not. But in the workshop of my mind, I fashioned a God out of the same substance of my own limited imagination. And if Isaiah could write about me, he'd say, how does he not see it? And how do I not see that? How can I be so blind? How can I warm myself And feed over the same things and same thoughts that bring me down. Aren't those thoughts, aren't those negative messages that I tell myself about myself, about God, aren't those thoughts that I hold in the right hand of my mind not just lies? And I know I'm not alone in having these thoughts. I talk to people all the time who have doubts or who have limiting beliefs that they struggle with. And if I've struck a chord at all this morning, let me ask you, what's the lie in your life and in your heart? Sure, we may come to church, we may sing the songs, we may pray the words, but deep down, how do we really feel? And let me rephrase that. What is it that you believe sometimes more than you believe in God? In fact, we say that God is all-powerful, that he's all-knowing, that he's all-seeing, but do we still believe that he works mightily in our world and in our lives? Do we really believe that he loves us intensely and unconditionally? Do we still believe that he does miracles? Do we still believe in grace? Do we still believe in his divine care and providence in our lives? Or deep down, do we sometimes feel or tell ourselves that he's abandoned us? That he's forgotten, that we're on our own, and that whatever it is we're going through right now, we don't stand a chance. And that his grace exists, but it has limits, and we don't meet the standards. And unfortunately, we didn't make the cut. I know there are times in life when it's hard to see God at work in the world and in our lives. That's the byproduct of living in a world that's been infected by sin and by selfishness and wrong motives. You see, the world seems so broken that we have a hard time believing that the God who created it isn't also broken himself. Because we're told that God is perfect, that he's loving, and that he is good. But when we experience the world, sometimes it feels all too often to be anything but perfect and loving, and good. And so we let the world become the lens through which we see God. And given enough time, we begin to see God as as limited, and as broken, and as cruel as the world is sometimes. And as we are sometimes. And then we fashion our idea of who God is out of the same broken substance of this world. (laughs) But let me just ask this question. Isn't that just one big, sad lie? Because the big idea this morning, for those of you who are taking notes, is that we need to worship and rely on the right God. We need to worship and rely on the right and true God. Isaiah wrote thousands of years ago to people who, even though they professed to believe in the right and true God, were giving themselves over to counterfeits. They were giving themselves over to idols. And to us, it might sound silly to worship a wooden idol. In fact, there probably aren't many modern-day thinkers who can even relate to that. And so the danger that we see here as we read this passage is that we might skip over this and think, well, that's absurd. That doesn't apply to us. In fact, that's kind of like a biblical comic strip. I mean, after all, how absurd is it? The idea of fashioning our God out of the same lumber that we use to light our fire and have our backyard barbecue. Yet, don't we do this too? Isn't it equally silly how we replace what's true about God with thoughts about Him that just aren't true? And if we follow the downward spiral of our own limited thinking about God to the point that we no longer are praying to or worshiping or relying on God at all. We fashion something in the workshop of our minds that is as lifeless and powerless as a block of firewood. Now, let's also point out, okay, this is important, that there's danger in making our own thoughts the center of our attention in the first place. That if I could just manage and conquer my negative stinking thinking with positive oxytocin thinking, then I can do anything, okay? But that's no different than the worship of wooden idols that we carved with our own hands. Either way, the God is us. The God is ourselves. After all, we designed and we created this God. So we get to dictate right and wrong. We get to dictate ultimate value. We get to dictate what's best. And most importantly, and don't miss this, we're not responsible or accountable then for our failure or for our success. Because when things are going well, we can sing the praises of our imaginary God, But when things don't, well, we can just conclude, well, hey, what were you expecting anyway? You know, after all, God is just a block of firewood. Why would we do that? Why would we do something so silly? That was Isaiah's message to the people. But it's still true of us today in this way. Is it because we get mileage out of thinking like this? And let me ask this question, do we really get mileage out of it? Of course we don't. Because here's the truth. If God is all-powerful and all-knowing, and he's loving and he's good, and he has great plans for all of us, then why wouldn't we worship him and rely on him? Because it would be totally against our own interests to rely on anything less. And as you see in your notes, that's important. Because relying on anything or anyone else is sad. It's misguided. It's unproductive and ultimately it's self-destructive. Anything else is a very disappointing deity. It's just fancy firewood. And as Isaiah points out in the passage, the best use of that idol, those limiting beliefs, is to be used as firewood to keep us warm and grill our steaks over. The interesting thing about the 66 chapters of Isaiah is that there's this theme. You can hear it, that God is actually telling his people, please let me love you, let me love you. You have no idea how much I love you. And if you think that what I've done so far is cool, just you wait. You haven't seen anything yet because you have no idea how much I want to do for you. Just let me love you. Let me be your God. And don't settle for anything less. These limiting beliefs of ours, these negative messages that we might tell ourselves, they're definitely something less. And they work against us and our own good. Whether they're thoughts about God or about ourselves or about others or the world, they're all bad, and they're all at odds with God and his work for us. When asked what the greatest commandment was, Jesus replied in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 through 40, that love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. And not only is that a command because God is deserving of that love, but also because it's for our own good to love God, to love ourselves, to love other people. Because we are His special and precious creation, fashioned and made in His own image. And any parent in the audience can relate to this, that when you hear your your child saying negative, self-defeating things about themselves, that hurts. In fact, when your son or your daughter says negative or self-defeating things about themselves, that hurts almost more than when they say negative things about you as a parent. So how much more does God feel that way about us who... He created our innermost parts. He knew us in the womb before we were ever born. We're his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to do amazing things that he had planned for us before the beginning of time. So what do we need to do? And where do we go from here? Well, first of all, we need to identify our limiting beliefs. Earlier this morning, I asked you to write down your top limiting belief. I want you to go ahead and pull that out right now. Even if you didn't write something down, you can still play along with this and just assume that it represents that thing, that negative message that you may have told you at some point in your life, maybe even today. I want you to hold that in your right hand. I want you to ask, isn't this a lie? Let's do that together. Isn't this a lie? Chances are there are other things you could have written down there. And as those or others come to you, put it through that filter and ask yourself, isn't this a lie? Because if it doesn't inspire you or encourage you or comfort you or spur you on to love God and other people, then chances are it's a lie. Paul reminds us in Second. Corinthians 10.5, that we need to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That we need to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Identify those lies and take them captive. In fact, let's treat those negative thoughts for what they really are. Just fancy firewood that we need to throw on the fire. Next, we need to replace our limiting beliefs with God's truth. Once we throw our lies on the barbecue where they belong, we need to seek God's truth. Truth like God is good. God is loving. God is all-powerful. God sees everything and he sees you at every moment. He hasn't forgotten you. In fact, he loves you so intensely that he died for you and he has great plans for us. He has great plans for each of our lives. And guess what? He is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. According to Romans twelve two, we're to not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then we'll be able to, to test and approve what God's will is his good pleasing and perfect will. Philippians 4:8 tells us whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Do you want to renew your mind and think on things that really are true? Then read God's Word. Connect with others who are growing in their faith. And in fact, next week we have an opportunity. We uh, have a new series starting called Can You Dig It? And we're going to take each Sunday to talk about a truth about who God is and who we are and, and about our world. Each Sunday will be a standalone teaching, it'll be a great, perfect opportunity. For you to renew your mind and replace any limiting beliefs that you have with God's truth. Now lastly, we need to rely on the right. The only true God. Anything less is just a disappointing deity. Now I have to kind of share my love of movies here for a second and just talk about the 2012 film, The Avengers. And in this film, the heroes of S.H.I.E.L.D., they band together to face the alien armies of the mythical god, Loki, and his evil horde. And in my favorite scene in that movie, this villain, this false god, Loki, he comes face-to-face with the Incredible Hulk, Those of you who have seen it probably know what I'm going to be talking about because before the Hulk gets his Hulk on, this false god, Loki, starts monologuing. He says, I am a god, and you will bow down to me, and you will stop immediately. I command you to stop. And without missing a beat, the Hulk, well, let's just put it this way, he quickly put him in his place. And as he leaves, (laughs) the incredible Hulk walks away saying, puny god. Now, I'm not trying to endorse the theology of Hollywood. But isn't that how we ought to treat these limiting beliefs that we have? These negative messages that have been keeping us from God's best for us? Isn't it time that we identify this thinking, thinking for what it really is, just fancy firewood? I don't know where you're at this morning. And I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing. And I don't know what what pain you might be going through or have gone through in your life. But isn't it time that we replace these limiting beliefs, these negative messages, with God's truth? Isn't it time that we stop giving airtime to these lies and rely on the right God? As we close this morning, I want you to pull out those notes one last time. And, And in a few moments... The ushers are going to be coming. They're going to be collecting the offering. Part of what they're going to be doing is collecting these blue connection cards. And on the back of this, there's a space for you to put down prayer requests. And, you know, if you feel that bold and maybe something has touched you this morning and you're thinking, I would like to put something behind me too, go ahead and write that down. You don't have to be specific. You could just say, you know what, I'm doing business with one of my limiting beliefs. Please join me in prayer. The pastors and staff here would love to pray with you. They would love to pray that you wouldn't be held hostage by negative messages anymore, that you would begin to rely on God and worship Him. Now, for the rest of us, as we play along one last time with our notes, we're going to hold that in our right hand again, but this time we're not going to ask a question. We're going to make a declaration. Because let's take the first action step today of anything that we've identified or things that we might continue to identify in our lives and tell it that you are a lie. In fact, let's do that together. You are a lie. Let's pray. God, we worship you. We desire to rely on you. Help us to take captive every thought, every lie that sets itself up against your truth, of you, Jesus. And your truth about us and other people and how you love us, created us in your image. Lord, we thank you that you love us intensely. We thank you that you're able to do immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine. Help us as we leave this place this morning to remember these truths and to fully rely on you. And in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray.